Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast and a very special episode for you today as we mark 60 years of Prime Minister's Questions. The 60th birthday of Prime Minister's Questions. I'm Matt Chorley, joined by Patrick Maguire, editor of the Times Red Box, and together we're going to pause the action from the House of Commons on the 18th of July, 1961. It was the first time that a session was set aside for the Prime Minister to face inquiries from MPs. With the help of the hugely talented actor, comedian and impressionist Kieran Hodgson, we'll recreate the session which was never recorded at the time. We will hear Harold Macmillan facing questions, yes, about Britain's place in Europe. This is PMQ's Unpacked, Episode 1. So before we begin with the questions to the Prime Minister, let's hear from the common speaker in July 1961, Harry Hilton Foster, who has by now been in the chair for just under two years. Order, order. The House will have observed that the order paper today indicates that the Prime Minister will answer his questions at 3.15pm. The Prime Minister has informed me that he is at the service of the House in this matter and is willing to try this experiment for the remainder of the session, if that be the wish of the House, as I understand it is. Prime Minister. Now let's just uh, jump in there before we hear from Hal Macmillan. Patrick Maguire, this is a significant change to the way the Commons is run. Yes, until now, MPs have been able to ask ministers questions on any day uh, before the start of the scheduled business. Of course, uh, we all remember when Gladstone uh, was into his 70s. As a courtesy, they moved the questions to the very end of the day to give him time to... uh, get away from his uh, his cod liver oil. <laughs> get up and about. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, some of us are all better at the end of the day. Yes, exactly. But that meant that people would very seldom uh, be able to ask him the questions because of the uh, the rest of the business might have overrun um, or what have you. Uh, so it's only just become a formal arrangement. Obviously, Churchill only took his questions on uh, the start of the day on th- Tuesdays and Thursdays. But now we're going to have two 15-minute sessions pre-scheduled to the Prime Minister on those days. Yeah, obviously kicking off with Harold Macmillan, uh, Conservative Prime Minister. So here we go then, the very first Prime Minister's questions from July the 18th, 1961. And question number one, a niche one, this, Fenner Brockway, a Socialist Labour MP, has got a question down on the order paper asking to which minister the UK ambassador to the Republic of South Africa will be responsible. Uh, so now we can hear Harold Macmillan's response. A decision will be made when the review of our relations with South Africa, now in progress, has been completed. Meanwhile, the Ambassador will continue to be responsible to my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Commonwealth Relations. So kicking off with a real blockbuster issue at the very first PMQs, we should just explain the convention in 1961 is that MPs would table the question, literally tell the Prime Minister uh, what the question will be. The Prime Minister responds and then they get a supplementary. So now we can hear Fenner Brookway uh, getting up to ask his supplementary question. May I express our appreciation of this new arrangement for answering questions and the hope that it will be convenient for the Prime Minister as well as useful to the House. How long does the Prime Minister expect it will be before a decision is reached on this matter of South Africa? Is he aware 
that very many of us take the view that since the Union of South Africa has withdrawn from the Commonwealth, the ambassador should be representative of the Foreign Office and not of the Commonwealth Relations Department. So Patrick McGuire, before we hear uh, Macmillan's response, this is a, an issue, uh, British relations with South Africa has been an issue for several months by this point. Yes, of course, uh, in May, South Africa voted in a whites-only referendum to become a republic. Though words, the South African Prime Minister has had a public war of words with Macmillan, who has obviously just made his wind of change speech about the uh, tumult in Africa, numerous movements for national self-determination, as we know. And so this is a really sticky issue for the Prime Minister. And so although the pretense was like, who is the minister responsible for the public of South Africa, it's actually pointed to a broader uh, political problem for Macmillan. So let's, let's go back to the House of Commons now and hear, hear the response uh, from Howell Macmillan. I'm grateful to the Honourable Member for what he has said about the arrangement of questions. I can assure him that this arrangement suits me much better because uh, I know when to come here. Uh, just to jump in there, this is the, the, just the pleasantries, Patrick Maguire, of uh, this new arrangement. The Prime Minister is now in the diary. He's got to come to the Commons uh, twice a week to answer PMQs. And isn't he suave and charming <laughs> about it? OK, let's just now hear from him on the substantive question, as asked by Fenner Brockway, of the, uh, the concern uh, about the Union of South Africa withdrawing from the Commonwealth and what that means in terms of uh, uh, which part of government is therefore responsible for it. Answering the second part of the supplementary question... Under the standstill agreement, there will be a considerable period before we can negotiate all the many problems which arise. I think that we had better wait to see what progress we make under the standstill arrangements. Obviously, this is the issue because in 1961, there's a foreign office and there's a Commonwealth Relations Department. And if, the, if South Africa is coming out of the Commonwealth, uh, does it therefore sit under the foreign office? Uh, this is PMQ's Unpacked Episode 1. We're unpacking the very first PMQs from 1961 uh, to mark the 60th anniversary of Prime Minister's Questions. So let's jump to question three on the order paper now. Desmond Donnelly is up next, a Labour MP since 1950. Interestingly, he beat Lloyd George's son in the Welsh seat of Pembrokeshire. Uh, the question down on the order paper, asking the Prime Minister whether he'll arrange for the full text of his speech about national policies at Carlin in Wiltshire on Saturday the 1st of July. He wanted that put in the Library of the House of Commons. Let's uh, first of all get Macmillan's response. It would be unusual to place in the library a copy of a speech made on a party political occasion. Uh, but it would give the Conservative Central Office great pleasure to send the Honourable Member a copy of the speech that I made in Cannes on the 1st of July. Well, Patrick McGuire, that's our first joke. Is it? I mean, we're setting the bar low, not knowing what's yet to come in 1961. I detected some titters in the public gallery at that uh, acid put down. Of course, this goes to the heart of sometimes of what happens uh, in Westminster. Some things are party political matters, some things are official matters. Uh, so, you know, basically on the on the basic premises, saying, uh, look, we're not going to put party political matters into the House of Commons library. But uh, I suspect that Desmond Donnelly, the Labour MP, uh, has a, a broader political point to make. Is the Prime Minister aware that, while parts of that speech are unexceptionable, there was a section which referred to the fact, which the Prime Minister claims, that this country had never been more prosperous in its history? Is he aware that there is a growing feeling in this country that he has consistently, reverting to his answer just now, put party interests before those of the nation? At what time 
In this century has there been a prime minister who has been more gorged by his own words. Some proper old-fashioned uh, party political point scoring from the Labour MP Desmond Donnelly. Uh, let's see if uh, how Macmillan uh, returns similarly. Answering the first part of the question, I think that the best thing would be to put the honourable member on the permanent list of subscribers to central office publications. Answering the second part of the question, if he will search his heart, I will search mine. I remember no time when the people of this country have been better housed and better clothed and more fully employed. So Patrick McGuire, this is proper old-fashioned, you know, age-old political battleground, isn't it? Is, well, are the yeah. people better off or worse off? And in 1957, obviously, we all remember the Prime Minister's famous speech in which he declared most Britons had never had it so good. But obviously things have changed since. Inflation is rising. The Prime Minister's had to freeze wages. Uh, there are, and introduce other economic curbs to uh, to keep that inflation under control. So really, we're in a, he's, we all know that he's experiencing quite acute pain in his backbenches. Many of them, returning to Fenner Brockway's question, aren't particularly happy with his newly woke turn on uh, African self-determination. Now we're seeing Labour MPs highlight the uh, declining living standards despite that slightly hubristic declaration in 1957. It's on, uh, he's on shaky ground despite his... Uh, very elegant put-downs to uh, Desmond Donnelly there. <laughs> OK, well, let's move on. This is PMQ's Unpacked, episode one, uh, where we are unpacking the very first edition of PMQ's from July the 18th, 1961. And I'm sure this is not an issue that will be repeated in further editions of PMQ's, but for this session, there are seven questions tabled on the order paper on Britain's place in Europe. This is a huge issue right now in July 1961, Patrick McGuire. Yes, because obviously this is a we're in a we're living in a world in a state of flux on the brink of having lost an empire but not having quite found a role. Obviously, Macmillan is about to apply for Britain to join the European Economic Community, but what does that imply to Britain's allies and former colonies in the Commonwealth? If you are uh, managing an export industry in, in Nigeria, you might naturally be worried that Macmillan, in throwing his lot in with the uh, coal and steel community and uh, free trade in Europe, that Britain might be about to turn its back on its former empire. Now, obviously, that's not something uh, a Conservative Prime Minister wants to be accused of. Uh, and Macmillan has sent many of his ministers to schmooze our former dominions and smooth things over. And so, obviously, there are a lot of questions about that today. In fact, there were so many on the order paper that what Macmillan uh, has done is he's sort of lumped them all together. So, so let's, let's take a, a listen to Howard Macmillan's uh, blanket response. As I said in reply to a question on the 13th of July, I hope to make a statement on these matters before the House rises. The House will understand that the government must first hear the reports of the ministers who visited the various Commonwealth countries and discuss the whole question in light of these reports. At the very first Prime Minister's questions, the Prime Minister basically saying, I've got nothing to tell you now, but I'll try to tell you again in a couple of weeks' time. Dare I say it's a, a useful way to evade a potentially embarrassing exchange from the dispatch box. And it also just gives him a blanket response to all upcoming questions, I suspect, will be, I'm not going to tell you anything now, but I will tell you something in the future. Uh, in fact, we can, uh, we're just popping up in the comments, the common speaker, Hilton Foster, uh, butts in. There was so much noise that I did not hear. Might I ask the Prime Minister whether he was answering more than one question? 
Mr. Speaker, I should have said that with permission, I would answer questions numbers 6, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 13 with question number 4. So that's, that's the sort of procedural matter. The McMillan's basically gone through the order paper, uh, seen that there were loads of questions all about on the, uh, the question of Britain's relationship with Europe, joining the European Economic Community, and the impact on relations with the Commonwealth. And he's given them all this blanket, no-comment response, basically. But each MP who's tabled a question now gets to have a go with a supplementary. And we start with Labour MP William Warby. Is it not already manifest that the government's travelling salesmen have returned with virtually empty order books. Will the Prime Minister say how many of the dozen or so Commonwealth countries visited have shown positive enthusiasm for Britain's entry into the common market? Uh, Prime Minister, I think that the Honourable Gentleman has given a quite false account of these very valuable discussions. If the Honourable Gentleman's comments came from any other quarter... I would pay more attention to them. It's such a live issue, this, isn't it, Patrick Maguire, of the demise of the empire. It becomes the Commonwealth. Lots of MPs across the political spectrum think that that is where Britain's economic superpower lies. Uh, and yet, Harold Macmillan thinks that there are more economic gains to be had from aligning with, with Europe. Yeah, and this is inextricably linked to the questions we're hearing before. There is a, a common theme, whereas Fenner Brockway's question might have initially seemed like the uh, the sort of witterings of a classic Labour pacifist do-gooder more concerned with more concerned with events in faraway lands than his own country, bread and butter issues, but it'll never catch on. It's all links back to the, then the second question, which is about living standards. And as you say, questions of economic gains, inflation, where are we buying our food from? You know, it's always been a painful thing for Tory ministers and prime ministers in this century. Look back in the, the rouse of a free trade. It's a, merely the latest iteration of this. And I'm sure in 60 years' time, Tories will be having the same argument. I mean, it's not just uh, Labour. I mean, that was Labour MP William Warboy there uh, giving the prime minister a kicking and him replying, well, you know, I'd pay more attention if the criticism came from any other quarter. What we can hear now is the Conservative MP, Charles Doughty. Will the prime minister, when making his statement, deal in detail with the views of the individual Commonwealth nations and not make a general statement with regard to question number eight, which deals with the European Free Trade Association and not with the Commonwealth, will the Prime Minister remember that we owe a duty to those countries who have gone in with us to see that they come along with us into the common market? If we do not succeed in the common market, we can form a stronger association with them and possibly with the Commonwealth as well. It's Conservative MP Charles Doughty making the case for being outside uh, the European economic bloc uh, and building a stronger association uh, with them. Let's hear Hal McMillan's response. On the first part of the supplementary question, perhaps my honourable and learned friend will await my statement. With regard to the second part, we have all through been in the closest touch with the EFTA members, and indeed we had a meeting on this very subject only a few weeks ago. So that's how Macmillan's response there, trying to make the case that Britain would, has had a sort of close alignment with Europe, but just proof that he's facing criticism even from his own courses about the, uh, the Conservative Party's relationship with Europe. 
Yes, exactly. And whether he can unite, or any Conservative leader can unite his party around EEC entry uh, remains to be seen. Clearly there is a significant groundswell of anxiety, perhaps not outright opposition just yet. But the Prime Minister seems dead set on this. Let's see what Charles de Gaulle thinks. Uh, and yeah, I mean, but, I mean, the key thing, as I suppose, is McMillan will make his decision and that will settle the matter and it will never be discussed in, in British politics again. Right, up next on the order paper, we've got uh, the le- leader of the Liberal Party, Joe Grimmett. Four. I mean, he, he's a good-looking man, Patrick. He is famously telegenic. He's putting the Liberals back on the map. Obviously, they've had a particularly uh, difficult post-war period, but there is a sense that this dishy, telegenic deeply internationalist, eloquent spokesman for those values might just be able to spearhead a revival. He's already shaping up to be the sort of Liberal leader which we referred back to by uh, future Liberal leaders in 50, 60, 70 years' time. If they still exist. Well, I mean, it'd be a huge surprise if they uh, if they didn't. OK, uh, let's go to the House of Commons. This is Joe Grimmond. Can the Prime Minister clear up one point? As the common market has been growing for some years... Can the Prime Minister tell us when the Commonwealth was first consulted about our relations with it? Prime Minister, the Honourable Gentleman will remember that the first effort we made was a long negotiation which at one time looked hopeful for the formation of a European free trade area. That very nearly succeeded. I do not regret that negotiation. I think it was well worth undertaking. It was only when it broke down that we had to consider the situation resulting. So, uh, no, no real answer there for Joe Grimmond. Let's see if the next MP uh, does any better. Uh, just a, a, a promising young Labour backbencher by the name of Michael Foote. I used to read his columns in the Evening Standard. Will the Prime Minister give a guarantee that there will be not merely a statement on this subject before the House rises for the recess but an opportunity for a full debate on it. Would not it be wrong to have a statement on which only questions could be put to the Right Honourable Gentleman? As Michael Foote there. How um, uh, McMillan's response? That is another matter. Oh, and he's uh, sat down again. So, uh, <laughs> Michael Foote's saying, never mind just you coming with your statement on you know, Britain joining the common market. We want a full debate. And McMillan just says that's another matter and just sits there. No, a, a short answer is always an answer that Wrongfoot's opponent, particularly one as occasionally prolix uh, as Michael Foote, we can skip over a couple more of the backbench exchanges. Uh, let's go straight now to the big one. It's the leader of the opposition uh, taking on Conservative Prime Minister Hal McMillan is Labour leader Hugh Gateskill. Reverting to the question of a debate, as the Chancellor of the Exchequer is to make a very important statement next week, following which I imagine some opportunity for debate is bound to be provided, will the Prime Minister consider whether it would be convenient to incorporate the statement on the common market with the statement on the Commonwealth visits. Prime Minister, it might be convenient to the opposition, but I do not think that it would be at all a good thing to mix up two quite separate subjects. I mean, there's an opening gambit from Hugh Gateskill at the very first PMQs. He's slightly disappeared into the weeds a bit here on the timing of debates and statements. Perhaps he's going to set up a question of his own choosing, which is obviously we know uh, Gateskill is opposed 
not in principle to EE Centry, but he thinks Macmillan is barking at the wrong tree for precisely the reason other MPs have raised over the course of the session, which is that it's going to harm Britain's relations with the Commonwealth. So perhaps he wants the Prime Minister to confront those issues head-on so he can respond uh, in the terms he would like, rather than insulating him from the force of Gateskill's argument by uh, hiving them off into two separate statements. OK, here we go. We can, uh, we've got a second question now from the Labour leader, Hugh Gateskill. Does the Prime Minister really regard the subjects as totally separate? If he refuses to deal with the matter in the way I have suggested, will he give a guarantee that there will be an opportunity for the House to discuss this matter before we rise? Prime Minister. That is not a matter for me, but we will take into account the wishes of the House. I mean, Patrick, I'm not sure that anyone would argue that Hugh Gates never necessarily used his, his two questions to greatest political effect. Maybe future opposition leaders will get better at this, but this is a real opportunity really to get... You know, lead the the front pages of tomorrow's papers, get in the evening news on the on the wireless, and I'm not sure that Gateskill has really inserted himself into the news agenda there. Okay, hang on, we've got another young Labour high flyer now uh, coming up uh, by the name of Harold Wilson. Is the Prime Minister not aware that in addition to the agreed communiques, a great deal has been put out in the various Commonwealth countries in newspapers? Is the right honourable gentleman not yet aware? that this is a vital decision one way or the other for the whole country, for the whole nation, and for the whole Commonwealth. Will he stop treating this as though it were a private thing to be decided at a country house party? Howard Wilson there, possibly showing his party leader how it's done. Well, dare I say, Harold Wilson is a man with uh, well-known ambitions for Mr Gateskill's job, and he certainly showed him how to ask a sharp question with his finger on the uh, on the populist pulse in a way that perhaps is uh, slightly more straight-laced, if not passionate himself, leader. And look, the man of the people has risen to speak. OK, let's hear if, uh, how, how Macmillan responded to that uh, quite political attack. The second part of the supplementary is quite worthy of the right honourable gentleman. With regard to the first part, Whatever newspapers may say, I still hold the view, perhaps it is old-fashioned, that one should not put out statements about private discussions with Commonwealth Prime Ministers. Well, there we are. He's sort of trying to rise above it. But you better believe that someone as deft as Mr Macmillan will be making it known that Commonwealth Prime Ministers were happy with his intentions to join the common market if, indeed, they'd given him that message. I suspect... There's a little bit of backlash from uh, our allies in the Commonwealth. So we've uh, we've talked a lot about particularly Africa, Britain's relations with uh, Europe. We've got a question now from uh, the Welsh Labour MP, Emrys Hughes, looking across the other side of the Atlantic. Is the Prime Minister aware that there has been considerable criticism in the Canadian press and also in our press that he has become entirely subservient to the strategic policy of Mr Kennedy and the United States of America? Can the Prime Minister assure us that he has not succumbed to pressure from President Kennedy on the common market. Uh, Prime Minister. Whatever may be the Honourable Gentleman's views about that, and of course he is well informed, it is certainly not the view of the American press. Of course, Patrick, US President John F. Kennedy in office now for only six months, but is already seen as someone who is changing the world of politics. Yeah, I, he is surely going to go on and on and on, win election 
Uh, he'll be in power for the rest of the decade, I think, and Harum uh, will better get used to it. But an interesting political attack, too, from uh, MS Hughes about this idea of the British Prime Minister becoming entirely subservient to the President of the United States of America. Yes, and the big theme of this session has been uncertainty, strategic uncertainty, both on the part of the Prime Minister and in each party, about the best place for Britain in the world to occupy now empire is winding down the process of decolonization is underway in africa um the the traditional dominions like south africa are cutting loose and pursuing their own policy in defiance of what this government wants and that attack will wound i think because here is a prime minister trying to assert himself and carve out a new niche in the world uh, only to be told that he is uh he is the poodle of an american president uh, this is PMQ's Unpacked, Episode 1, unpacking uh, the very first session of Prime Minister's Questions from uh, the 18th of July, 1961. OK, let's go back to the House of Commons now, uh, where the Commons Speaker, I think, uh, is calling the next question. Mr Gourlay, question number 12. Oh, no, hang on, up pops, uh, I think this is Conservative MP Sir Cyril Osborne. Mr Speaker, may I ask question number 11? It has been answered. I was not aware that it had been answered. Unfortunately, I was not called to ask a supplementary question to the answer to a lot of questions, and that is why I thought that my question had not been answered. May I ask this supplementary question? No! Order, this is my fault. Uh, might I ask the Prime Minister whether question number 11 was answered, and if so, with which questions? Mr. Speaker, it was answered with questions numbers 4, 6, 8, 9... 10 and 13. Then I apologise. The mistake is mine. I cannot save the matter for the honourable member, I am afraid. May I ask a supplementary question now? I'm afraid not. OK, let's just uh, <laughs> jump in there. I'm going to take a little bit of ironing out the, uh, exactly how this, this new uh, Prime Minister's Questions thing is going to work. Uh, there's one more question down on the order paper. That's on a, a letter from Kirkcaldy Town Council, which apparently sent to Macmillan, opposing the training of German troops in this country, uh, which uh, he's already replied to. So uh, will, will we leave the, the very local question from uh, PMKs? Let's take a step back then, Patrick Maguire. The very first session of Prime Minister's Questions from July the 18th, 1961... Do you think this is going to stick? Well, plenty of questions. I didn't detect many straight answers from the Prime Minister there. It makes you wonder why he agrees to do this twice a week, because he clearly isn't interested in uh, taking the inquiries from MPs on the chin and uh, answering with the frankness and candour that they... Uh, that they were so dearly like. And uh, so we had, you know, questions about foreign affairs, again and again questions on uh, Britain's place in Europe. Mid-July 1961, a couple of weeks out from uh, Macmillan uh, making his decision on whether or not Britain should join uh, the common market, which will hopefully then put the question of whether or not Britain should be in Europe finally to bed. Patrick McGuire, uh, thank you for joining us to unpack the very first PMQs uh, from July the 18th, 1961. That was PMQ's Unpacked, Episode 1. That was PMQ's Unpacked, Episode 1. My thanks to Patrick Maguire for helping me pick through it. Kieran Hodgson for the brilliant uh, voices of all of the politicians and producer Chloe uh, for putting it all together. Up next, we've got a little chat with Betty Boothroyd, the former Commons Speaker, talking about why Boris Johnson never answers the question. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast, and now we thought we'd bring you a chat I did with Betty Boothroyd, the former Commons Speaker from 1992 to the year 2000. Uh, she spoke to me about her views of how Prime Minister's Questions works today. 
John Major was, of course, leader of the opposition at that time. And he came to see me one morning and he said, I've just been told, I haven't been consulted, uh, uh, there's been no uh, agreement on it, but the, the government decided they're just going to have one lot of question time on a Wednesday. He was a bit aghast about it. I had not been told, but anyway, the Speaker was not responsible for the business of the House, of course, only for the conduct of the House. So I said, OK, John, well, what do you do if you only have it once a week? You have, on a Tuesdays and a Thursdays, you've usually had three questions each. So yeah, I'll double them up for you. You had six questions on a Wednesday in that case. But I said, if you're the parliamentarian, I think you are. And there's no doubt about it, John Major was, and it was a parliamentarian to his fingertips. I said, don't take all your six questions because there's backbenchers. This is a time for backbenchers as well to question the government, the prime minister on government policy. So let me caution you about all that. And he behaved very well about it, John Major. But um, uh, certainly it, 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 it was a change when uh, uh, they went from uh, two, two, twice a week until once a week. And I felt, I have to tell you, I felt that the sparkle... The sparkle had gone out of the parliamentary agenda on a Wednesday when that was when we got through question time. There was nothing much to look forward to on a Thursday. And I don't usually speak to myself, but I said to myself, OK, Betty, Thursday we have next week's business. This gives a chance for backbenchers to question the leader of the House, to say what they want to say about the, de the debates they want for the next week, you know, there was a number of people who were coming into the defence services, overseas de development, overseas aid, all of these debates, and they say, therefore they can question there if they can't get in on the Prime Minister's question time. So we, we manage, but uh, I, look, I understand, I understand why any government wants its Prime Minister to answer questions only once a week because of all the research or that goes in every Tuesday and Thursday morning to brief all the briefing for a prime minister to stand there and answer the questions. Yeah, that so much work goes into it, and it gets a lot pretty. Of work goes into it, it. Get, it gets pretty raucous too. Obviously, not in recent times because of uh, oh, yes, coronavirus. It, it gets raucous, but that's what you expect, actually. I mean, you know, we are a we are a sort of debating chamber. We we just it it, it we 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 we're volatile people, and this is what it was all about. And you know, I just want to say this to you. When I speak, and I spent all my recesses accepting invitations all over the world. I spoke in loads of parliaments in the world. And we were the envy, Prime Minister's question time was the envy of different parts of the of various parliaments in the world. They thought it was wonderful, and it, it really is. But I'm, I think it has deteriorated a great deal in the last few years. It just has. It's not... Of the, it's not the quality that it, that it used to be. There is, and in fact, the Speaker, quite rightly, only a few, few weeks ago, he had to call the Prime Minister to account. He had to say, look, he's contempt of Parliament. You're not answering the questions, not even attempting to answer the questions. It, I'm afraid that it has deteriorated and that, and it, it, it really has to be brought back to pro probably proper, proper question time. So what would you do if Be Betty Boothroyd was back in the chair now? How would oh, you, how would you sort Boris Johnson out? Only, I think it was a couple of days ago, the Prime Minister threw the questions back to the leader of the opposition. The leader of the opposition was asking him questions. He put them back. Well, what would the Labour Party do? And the, the Speaker had to come in and say, look, this isn't all day just regular question time. It's question time to the Prime Minister, not to the opposition. I would do the same. We've got to have some sort of procedure about this. It's got to be restored to what it, what it was originally. And how important is it that for many people watching 
Prime Minister's questions is often the only bit of the commons that they absolutely, they see. Absolutely, absolutely right. You know, I don't know whether that takes, still takes place, but there used to be queues on a Tuesday and a Thursday to come into Prime Minister's question time. You know, if any, if any, if a, if a member of Parliament had wanted his family to come in, he had to get their names down. You know, book in advance, as it were, because there was a demand. Now, I don't know what it's like now at all. I don't think it's the same. And what what I find very sad, very sad, is I get some backbenchers who I don't know. They, I know they look after their constituency a lot, and so it's quite rightly so. But they abuse Prime Minister's question time. I get goose pimples when a backbencher gets up and says, will the Prime Minister congratulate Bill Smith in my constituency because he's got got the best pigeons uh, (laughs) development in the country or he plays darts better than anybody else? It really is an abuse of the system. It ought to be stopped. Yeah, is it, is the Prime Minister is there to answer questions about what the government is doing, why it is not doing it, and not to fluff. I don't say Prime Ministers have got the answer to every question. Of course they haven't. We don't all don't know. But at least they've got to, they've got to have a stab at it and make an attempt, and it has not been doing these days. So when you first became an MP, uh, Ted Heath was still uh, Prime Minister. Then you had Howard Wilson, Jim Callaghan, Margaret Thatcher, John Major, oh, yeah. Tony Bill Blair, Gordon Brown. <laughs> Over the years, who's the best person? you've seen uh, doing PMQs in the dispatch box? The best person at the dispatch box? Oh, I can't tell you that. I really don't know. They were all of them good in their own ways. You know, all of them different personalities. But they all had a go at it. They all respected the parliamentary system. This is the point. And, you know, it, it, we, we, it, it, the, the, the parliament, Prime Minister's questions lies at the heart of the British political system. And they understood that. And it's about time we got back to that and, and cherished it and developed it and didn't abuse it as it has been abused, I think, at the present time. I don't think there's quite the, the interest in Prime Minister's questions that there used to be. There used to be queues of people. I don't know whether people watch it on television these days. I don't know. It gives me goose pimples sometimes, as I say. I get so worried about it. But, uh, no, uh, well, they're all different personalities, those who stand at the dispatch box. They all do it in their own way. But there must be an abuse of the system, which I believe there is at the present time. Yeah, and focus, focusing on uh, answering those questions and not the toadying, uh, the toadying backbench uh, questions. But do you, do you still watch it every week, Betty? Oh, I do watch it every week. I forget about it sometimes. No, I, I watch a lot of uh, the Parliament on uh, parliamentary system uh, on television. I don't watch. I watch it every week. I try to. Um, as I say, I just uh, when I watch it, I think oh, we should be done better. You know, let's try harder. <laughs> <laughs> and what about what about your life now in in uh, in the House of Lords? Um, obviously, oh, it's well, been a I strange mean, old time. Don't ask many questions there, actually. Um, I, I tend to sort of get more involved in debate rather than than question time. Uh, it's a bit sick, but I think the ministers have a go there. That, that, uh, they're not the secretaries of state, of course, who stand at the dispatch box there. They are ministers, but they do their best, and they, we, 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 we have granted questions and all sorts of issues like that. But we've got to get back to the system of um, too many things slip by these days because of, okay, the pandemic, because what has happened and the way we have the system. We have got to get back to being there and the body language and getting on with it, and as it was a few years ago. There isn't much of an attempt to answer questions. If the Prime Minister, I don't as I say, I don't expect them to have the answer to everything, but at least to make a good attempt of it, because that's what they're there for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it is undermined a lot these days by some of the backbenchers who abuse the system too, don't know how to use it. But the Speaker has a tough job. 
Speaker has a tough job these days in keeping Prime Minister's questions in to order, and is absolutely right in what he's been he's been what he's been doing at recent times in bringing bringing the Prime Minister to order on question time. Betty, that's okay. absolutely spot on. Thank you so much for that. Really appreciate you speaking to us. And it's not political, but it's what I, I, I love. Well, you know, I want to say this. I love the parliamentary system. I sought to cherish it and to see that it was developed and it was protected. And this is what I, I'm keen to see that happens now. And I think there's a speaker there who, is, who feels as I do and is doing his very best to do that. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from. <laughs>